Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Real Life Architect live stream. Uh, we're doing these fortnightly now, and uh, yeah, just come along and Q&A session, ask me whatever you want, and I will do my best to answer it. We'll run this for an hour and uh, see where it takes us. So just a point of note, I have a new microphone because the last live stream people said that the audio was dropping out and I could hear in the recording afterwards the audio wasn't great. I don't think that was the microphone. I think it was the internet connection. So if you are, you know, struggling to hear me, that that is why. Um, I've got my microphone here. I can see on the controls at the bottom that it is broadcasting. So we should be getting audio. So this week's live stream... I am going to go through a couple of things, and if you have a question, just put it in the comment section. I'll stop and I'll do my best to answer it. Uh, so this this live stream, I want to discuss survey questions. As usual, I've been surveying the community in the community tab on the YouTube channel. Um, I want to discuss recent video, including recent shorts which have been made uh, to see if folk, one, have folk actually watched it, and two, what do they think? Upcoming topics. I've surveyed people on this, but I've got I've got more topics lined up than those which were in the survey. Um, channel membership. I want to discuss how I might go about doing that. It is an option now because the channel's got to a certain size. And sponsorship. I may have some news on that in the next few days to a week or so. So we've got a couple of people on just now. Um, let us know where you are in the world. Just type in the comments, where are you this evening? Um, and we will take it from there. So I'm going to go and have a look at some of the survey questions that I've asked in the community section and see where that's taken us. Today, I asked folk, if you live in the UK, how much inflation have you experienced in your daily life over the past 12 months? Um, quite a lot, it would seem. So I've, everything from 0% through to 20%, there were five options. Um, 36% said they've they've experienced 20% inflation, about a quarter said they've, they've experienced 15% inflation, and another third said they've experienced 10% inflation. One vote has said they've experienced just 5% inflation. They're pretty, they're, they're pretty lucky. But um, yeah, a third of the people saying they're experiencing 20% inflation. I reckon in my own life, the cost of my groceries and, and heating bills yeah, it's probably getting on to like 15 to 20% in, in inflation. It's it's becoming ridiculous. So, yeah, that's a, that is a topic. I'm going to do a video about construction costs in the UK for 2023. What can we expect? If you're building an extension or you're doing work to your house, I'm going to try and just predict what that might cost you if you're planning to do work to your property next year. Um, I did make a video in January this year about the cost of a house extension in the UK in 2022. And that video has been one of the best performing ones on the channel because it's, you know, discusses real, um, real prices. And there's not a whole lot of information out there about that. I got some grief when I made it first from people saying, no, these prices are way too high. That's stopped after the Ukraine invasion and the price of energy shot up. It's pretty much now a given that what I've said in that is accurate and, and may in fact be out of date already because prices have gone up even more. Uh, so I am going to make that video in the coming weeks. We'll see where that takes us. So I, a couple of days ago, I surveyed people on the channel to say, you know, to ask which topic I should make next. And that is one of them. And I have planned some video topics, which would you like me to make first? And the one with the most views is things to look out for when buying an old property. So I do a lot of work on older buildings. I'm going to make a video which discusses the pros and cons, things you should look out for if you're thinking of buying an older building, an older house uh, or apartment, flat, whatever, uh, what usually goes wrong? The kind of stuff that makes people think they wish they hadn't bought the building in the first place. So I'll, that's probably what I'm going to make next. House extension cost in the UK for 2023 was the next most popular topic tied with self-build mortgages in the UK. So I have a mortgage advisor that I've known for years. He's done my own mortgages and other financial products. Um, I've known this guy since I started my own business 14 years ago. So I'm going to talk to him about how one would go about getting a mortgage to build a house, self-build a house in the UK. I have done this professionally a few times. And yeah, there's also the hoops you have to jump through, which you do not have to do if you're just buying an existing property. So that's one to look at. Um, 
luxury bathroom design idea has got only 7% of the votes and how to spot a cowboy builder as a video topic. You would think more people want to. I suspect maybe people already know how to spot a cowboy builder. It just amazes me these, these clowns are still out there. Pete, they're still fooling people. Um, but I suspect the people who are being fooled kind of want to be. You know, they've got, they want to get something that's way cheaper than everybody else. And then it all blows up and goes horribly wrong. And then they announce, oh, a cowboy took all my money. I don't think anyone's really that stupid. They, you know, you, you know what you're getting into particularly if you're paying cash or these guys are, uh, you know, they're not VAT registered. You can be legitimately not VAT registered. My business is not VAT registered. But if you're building extensions or alterations, you're spending tens of thousands of pounds a month doing this. You're going to trip over the 85K VAT threshold pretty fast. Um, so unless someone has just started a business, they are unlikely to be VAT registered. Plus, even guys who do start businesses, I've got a builder who had to fold his original business and started a new one. He opted to be VAT registered on day one because it just makes life easier for him because he's dealing with builders merchants who are themselves all VAT registered. So there you have it. Um, so next question I asked is, if you're in the UK and your home is on a nighttime or slash off-peak electricity tariff, do you expect it to last or will your supplier change or eliminate the tariff? This has come out of the video I did comparing the costs of running an air source heat pump versus a battery storage system. And the battery works if you can get access to a nighttime tariff or off-peak tariff where you pay less money for electricity at night. So you charge the battery up and then use that cheap electricity to power your house for part of the day. Those tariffs are being greatly restricted and it may be that in the near future they're going to just go away entirely. Um, and only current customers will, will be allowed to keep them. And at some point, they'll try and get those customers off of those tariffs. So I've had several people come in and say yes, and they've locked it in for the foreseeable future. So they've done a deal whereby they've got a fixed price for a year or whatever into the future. Um, about 16% said they know it's going to expire, and 48% said they don't know, and now that they're worried. So yeah, the cost of energy is going to be a big topic, I think, in, in it already is, but it's going to become even more so in the next month or two. I think it's next month, October, when the uh, the price rises are going up even, even more. So the government has, has announced some sort of plans, but it's not really been fleshed out yet because the Queen passed away and they haven't had time to do the legislation yet to see exactly how are they going to try and get a handle on ever-rising electricity prices. A week back, I asked, if you wanted to find a suitable architect for your project in the UK... Where would you start? So how would you go about finding an architect if you didn't know one? And, you know, um, how would you do this? And I got, it got 92 votes, which is, you know, now, most questions I get now get around about 100 votes. So that's, that's pretty good because the channel is growing. 22% said they'd ask a friend. 12% said they'd call Reba. 3% said they would drive around looking at signs outside building sites. But the biggest, and uh, the, the, by far the, the best option people could come up with for uh, for finding an architect is Google. And I get the bulk of my inquiries, like 90% at least of my inquiries come via Google. I get referrals every year, but um, you know, it, it, websites, SEO and, and Google, and to a lesser extent, social media like Facebook um, have played a role in this. But yeah, people search me up in Google, they find my website, they call me up or email me. Uh, and it seems that that's, generally speaking, that is how people would expect to go about looking for an architect if they didn't already know one. I asked, are, are people considering altering or extending their home in the next 12 months? And 30% of the 83 votes said they were thinking of altering, and they said it's early days, haven't done anything about it yet. 57% said no. But uh, what do we got here? 14% said, yes, they're, they're at some point in the middle of the process. If they've got planning, a warrant, they've got an architect, they've got a builder, you know, but they haven't yet started the work. They're, they're in that process. So I guess you know, 30% of respondents saying that they are thinking about it but haven't done anything yet, I, they're probably the people who watch my videos trying to find out, you know, get some clues as to what's going on and work out how the system works. Um, so that's, that's that. Let's talk about video topics that I've recently made. Um, I've made one long form or proper YouTube video since our last uh, live stream, and it's three open plan kitchen living room design ideas from my own projects and talking about how you will go about choosing between the right kind of layout for an open plan space for yourself. Uh, how, you know, how do you do it? Uh, and it's not really to do a budget 
or to do with you know anything technical it's what stage of life are you at if you've got young children there's a certain kind of open plan space that works for you and there's a certain kind of open space which absolutely will not work for you so yeah the video explores those ideas and by looking at examples from my own work check it out if you haven't already seen it um i've made several shorts like if you're not familiar with this youtube short is less than 60 seconds long filmed in vertical that is up and down format and um it's youtube's attempt to compete with tiktok and it's it's pretty good you can get out some snappy ideas pretty fast i made one about how long does it take to become an architect in the uk because a lot of people seem to think oh it's like six seven eight nine how long is it you know it's, it takes quite a while so i just rapidly run through the steps it would take from starting university through to when you are actually a qualified registered architect um, I made another one on how to get your first job in architecture. And I made this because every week I'll get one or two inquiries from students or recent graduates. And a lot of these people don't seem to have been told that there's a way of going about doing this. They'll write, you know, um, emails starting with Dear Sir, Madam, which is a terrible idea. You should phone first and ask who to speak to. Who does the hiring? Have you got any jobs at the moment? If not, could you recommend someone else? Another firm you might know who does. Uh, before you send a CV to anybody. And there are a lot of people, this is a surprising number of people who send group email shots. And you see this, it comes up in my email system as undisclosed recipients, which means that they've emailed 50 people. I think that's the maximum you can do a mail shot to using most mail programs is 50. I could be wrong on that, but you get the idea. They just got a whole string of emails, stuck them into their email system and written a generic email hit send. That's never going to work. So in an, as an attempt to address this, I have created a 60-second short, and it just quickly runs through eight steps you should go through to try and get yourself organized such that you stand a reasonable chance of at least getting an interview. Um, I don't hire anyone. I don't have staff, never had staff, don't intend to get staff, and I'm happy working here in my home garage. And then I, I made one called How to Set Out a 90-Degree Wall, and I kind of cheated in that. That's an older video that I've made, and I've just chopped it up. So it, used, it was about three and a half minutes long. I made it 60 seconds long by editing it. And, uh, yeah, that's it's already got 437 views. I put it out a day ago. Shorts are an odd thing. They, the YouTube algorithm, I think, operates a separate algorithm for shorts. So they show it to completely different people who would – other than those who would ordinarily be watching the channel. And it could be the people who subscribe to my channel don't actually see that I'm making these. But what does happen is that a lot of new subscribers come in off the back of these short 60 second videos, which is great. And some of these things have blown up and got thousands of views. I've got one I did four weeks ago called How to Run New Electrical Wiring in an Old Building. And it has had 2.4 thousand views, which you know, it's not a lot, but it's, you know, it's two and a half thousand views. I didn't, wouldn't have gone otherwise for a video that I filmed on a building site in like 30 seconds. Just walked around, looked at some uh, new wiring that was going in, explained what was happening, recorded that, and then posted it to YouTube. So yeah, it does It does work. I have had, I've got one or two that are massive. I've got one here with 16,000 views. It's one of the best performing videos of any kind I've got on my channel, how to insulate an old building, destructive method. So if you have an old building, you tear it to pieces. How do you go about insulating it properly? So that's something I've done. Um, so what else was I going to talk about this evening? We've discussed survey questions. We've looked over some recent videos, upcoming topics. Yeah, we kind of know the next one I'm going to make is going to be about um, things to look for before you buy an older building. And then I'll look at construction costs coming up for 2023. If you're going to build something in 2023 in the UK, What's this going to set you back? What's it going to cost you? Um, so I, one thing I wanted to discuss is sponsorship. I have been in discussion with a couple of firms whose products I have used for many years. And one of them is very keen to go ahead with sponsoring the channel. Um, we haven't reached an agreement on this yet, but they've they've indicated they would want, like to sponsor the channel for at least six months you know, uh, we will do one video on their particular product and then we, they will sponsor every video thereafter. So, you know, when you start watching the videos, it will say this video is brought to you by name the firm. Uh, and they're, they're, they make a product that I believe in. I've used it many times. If I, if I could, if I was building something in my own house, I would use their product as well. So I'm not going to say what it is. I have been in discussions with another separate firm. Um, 
we again they they seemed keen but if you deal with the large organizations you've got you know social media managers and marketing people and they've all got to go and you know, sign off on budgets it's not simple if you have a smaller firm they can make a decision there and then because you're probably dealing with one person but for larger organizations and in in both cases these are international companies with significant uk presence but they're headquartered outside the uk so it's uh, it's a new thing for me i've never done anything like this before and um, the channel is too small as far as i can tell to be able to get professional help in this regard there are management companies uh, who will do this they will represent uh, a youtuber or other you know if you have instagram or tiktok or whatever if you have tens of thousands of subscribers or followers you can get firms who will make it their business to get you these sorts of deals and they take a slice of the pie which incentivizes them to get as much money as possible for these deals which is you know great i suppose but my channel is what are we at three three and a half thousand subscribers i think at the moment um i've been told off the record i would need to have about ten thousand subscribers before i could seriously entertain the idea of having uh a firm represent my me as a you know youtuber yeah what are we three thousand five hundred and seventy subscribers which is you know that's amazing when i think about it there's three three and a half thousand people out there who have chosen to subscribe to the channel and watch what I'm producing. That's an amazing thing. Um, I can't begin to imagine what it's like if you have like 35,000 subscribers or like 300,000, you know, that's just crazy, but these things do happen. So um, I'm just gonna continue making a video a week as far as I can, um, and we'll see where that takes us. So what else have we got on the list for this evening? It is, We've been on for 16, almost 17 minutes just now. So I've spoken about sponsorship. Channel membership. This is something I want to... We, YouTube has this thing, if you haven't seen it before, where once the channel gets monetized and gets to a certain size, they will allow the channel to offer paid membership to subscribers so that you as a subscriber could pay a certain amount every month and get certain perks, whether it is, you know, direct access to me, you can get live streams that are, you know, just for paid members only, and put things behind a sort of paywall, so to speak. Um, I do have this when I got offered it by YouTube, YouTube emailed me and said, do you want to participate? I thought, well, you know, why not? Let's give it a shot. Um, so far, it hasn't really taken off. And I have a selection of options. I think the most expensive one is, I think it's like a 100 and something pounds a month, and you get to choose the topic, and you then get to help me, you know, write the script and edit all this etc 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 which is all fine and well but it's you know maybe at some point someone might decide to do this i doubt i don't know but what i'm wanting to do is to see if i was to create a discord or you know private chat room where people could subscribe for a month and just fire questions to me um you know anytime they felt like it what would people be willing to pay for that if i said you know two pounds a month to get behind the scenes access to me, not necessarily to make the only thing to do with making videos, but just to actually ask me questions um, as in, as and when they see fit, then that would, I don't know, potentially add value because at the moment, the only way to actually get hold of me is either show up for one of these live streams or put a question in the comments. And by the way, the, I, if you have put a question in the comments, I will apologize. I have several hundred of these sitting there yet to be answered. I had an attempt at this on Monday night and over the last week um, to just sit down and go through this. And I was at this for several hours and I think I barely made a dent in it. Um, some of the comments are just nice comments. I just say, thank you. Uh, others will have questions or observations in there or there was a few people who are having a go and say, oh, your information's incorrect or you, know, you didn't consider X, Y, or Z, which is fine because then I can just make a follow-up video where I do consider the things that they pointed out and I will. So I always welcome comments, unless it's you know outright abusive, and there have been a few of those, and they just get deleted. But it's really difficult, I suspect, for people to just reach out and get me if they wish to. There is a way of emailing me via YouTube. There's If you go into the About section, you can get access to an email. If the email address isn't posted there. You have to click a button and you know ask to be given the email address, but it can be done. Um, but very few people do that. And I have had one or two inquiries via it, but what I'm trying to get at here is, is there a, an option whereby a very modest sum per month would allow members 
to have access to me. And as far as I understand, Discord, um, don't actually use Discord myself, but I've been told by other people, this is the ideal tool for Discord, sorry, the, uh, the ideal tool for this kind of thing, whereby we can create a members only chat room and you could chat to me and I could answer your questions in, in near enough real time, or at least once a day, um, for a given amount per month. And, you know, that would be, um, something that might actually work. I don't know. So we'll see how that goes. Bernard Men Mensha, Mensha, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, Bernard. Good evening, sir. Good evening to you. Where are you this evening, Bernard? Where are you in the world? It's always great to know where people are based geographically just to get some idea of where people tune in from. You know, it's a channel that is largely aimed at a UK audience, but always surprises me that there are significant numbers of people in out-of-the-way places watching you from Ghana. There we go. So I'm just I'm just astonished. And, and you know, Bernard, you're in Ghana. Um, can I ask, what is it that attracts you to the channel? Why is it that a UK-based architect appeals that you would, you know, you would decide to give up your your evening. I presume you're on a near enough similar time zone to us in Ghana. Um, why are you? Why why are you? Why do you watch the channel? Um, just give me some idea. What is it I'm doing that appeals to you, Bernard? Um, yeah. So if if you're watching this, a recording of this, a recording goes out afterwards. So YouTube takes this and then sticks it up on on the channel as a video that you can go back and watch again. So if you do and you are watching this, just let me know if you're not in the UK, why do you watch the videos? I'm just curious, that's all. Um, and if there's topics that I can cover that would help a lot, then that's, um, that's something I will look into doing. Other people, the last time we were on here and on several previous occasions too, people have asked that I make videos directly addressing the architectural profession. Um, and looking at topics that you know directly concern architects, which is fine, and I could. The trouble is, the the channel has evolved in such a way that it, it tends to appeal to a broad UK-based homeowner audience, and I'm pretty sure that if I made videos that didn't directly address their concerns in some way, they either they wouldn't get watched or the channel would kind of flop in some way. It wouldn't grow. Um, which is something I'm, you know, I wanted to grow. I wanted to, to, to thrive and, and to do well. Um, so what I have started thinking about doing is making short videos. I mentioned this earlier, which address architectural content because YouTube's algorithm for regular videos appears to be different from the algorithm they use for shorts. They, they, they are separate as far as I understand it. And I mean, does anyone really understand how YouTube's algorithm works? I don't know. Um, we've got five folk on just now. Um, let us know where you are in the world. Just type it in the comments. Where where are you this evening? Uh, we've had Bernard from Ghana. Um, where else are people situated this evening? I am just going to have a wee drink because I've been talking nonstop for 23 minutes and it's, um, it is thirsty work. So what have we covered? Because I'm conscious a few new people have arrived. Um, so this evening we, we looked at survey questions that were put out by me on the channel um, community section. I try and do this every day. I'll try and stick at least one question in there every day or some point of observation. <laughs> Manuel, watching from Spain. Good evening. Um, so um, Manuel is a former colleague of mine. So yeah, always, always good to see a friendly face. Um, is this your first time seeing this, Manuel? Were you? I, I, I know you were aware the channel exists, but uh, Manuel is an architect, and his dad's an architect as well. I think Manuel is one of only two people I know who is the offspring of an architect. So there you go, fun fact. I'm not trying to give away too much about your personal life, Manuel. So yeah, we've gone through survey questions on the community section, recent videos that were discussed and, and upcoming topics. Um, and the fact that the channel is a, on the cusp of getting a sponsor, we're, we're at late stage of negotiations on this with a, with a firm. So that's going to be exciting. And what that's going to do, hopefully, and I mentioned comments and not having enough time to deal with comments, is that if I get financially what I want to get out of this, I will be able to take probably one at least half a day and certainly possibly one full day per week off 
to focus on the channel. And the, the dream is to take like at least have enough money from this that I don't have to work for a day so I can sit down and actually focus on you know planning new videos, shooting new videos, getting better content and, and answering the questions and comments that people put into the channel because there are hundreds of unanswered ones in there at the moment. Simon, is tanking really expensive? Um, complicated, complicated one to answer. Um, waterproof tanking, for those who don't know, is when you put some sort of membrane or material. It can, it can, it's usually a plastic sheet of some kind, quite durable, heavy-duty one, but it can also be a paint, a chemical-applied paint. Most of them these days are a plastic membrane. What makes it expensive, Simon, is the insurance-backed warranty. If you go to a lot of the the large organized large companies that do this full time, you will get you will come with a warranty. So they come to your house and they strip the whole place and they put in this waterproof tanking, um, and they then give you a piece of paper saying that's that's guaranteed for twenty years or whatever it happens to be. Most a significant chunk of the money you are paying goes towards that guarantee because it's insurance backed. And what that means is the company who install it could go bust the day after, but your guarantee is still good because a major insurance company like I don't know, Zurich or one of these huge international firms, AIG, have backed this thing so that if you can, you know, a year down the line, it's leaking, you can go to them. You have a number on this thing you can call up and they'll send out a surveyor and they'll check and go, oh, yeah, okay, it's failed. We'll pay to fix this, irrespective of whether that company still exists or not. Um, it is, however, possible for most regular builders to go to a builder's merchant and just buy this material. There are all sorts of tanking systems that are available on the market. They're not that expensive. But when you have it done that way by your local friendly builder, you're not getting a warranty. You're certainly not getting an insurance-backed warranty. You're just buying the material and paying for the labor to have this thing fitted. On a practical level, it'll probably work every bit as good, but it's not coming with any kind of guarantee. So that's if you're going to through one of the main waterproofing and tanking and rock treatment companies there are several of them out there you can google them there's one national firm that begins with a letter w they're very good at what they do um but that's what you're paying for you are paying for an, an insurance backed warranty and it's literally like buying an insurance policy that's lasting 20 years so that's going to be expensive so yeah you can cut if you're prepared to go without that you can cut your costs a lot don't speculate as to how how much you'd cut it but a lot um Arab Nawaz. Hey, RLA. I'd be interested in a video on how to maximize your chances of getting planning in the countryside. Previous difficult experience with potential barn conversion in the West Midlands. Very good. That's a good topic. Touched on it briefly. In um, If you look into the videos on the channel, there was one where I did a um, half hour long chat with a planning consultant. And excuse me, it's, it's in there. And we did touch on getting planning outside, you know, settlements or in the green belt or in remote rural locations generally speaking um his advice was if you're outside of a settlement it's really hard not impossible but it's near enough uh very difficult to get planning in in remote rural locations uh in this country and also in some places down south there are local policies different areas have different versions of it but they all have some version of it where you can get planning for what's called a within a cluster so if you have, I think in where I live, three existing dwellings within 100 meters of each other, it is more likely, it's not guaranteed, it's more likely you will get planning to add another house within that cluster. But if it's just a house in a field miles from anywhere else, that's near enough impossible. Now, you mentioned it's a barn conversion. So again, that will be treated like you're creating a new house. I know there's an existing structure, but it's not a dwelling, it's a barn. Um, and that is also tricky and some councils will have written into their planning guidance that that's just not going to happen they will not support it that's usually how it's described um so it's not impossible but it's just one shade next to impossible uh my advice is talk to a planning consultant or an experienced local architect who does exactly what you're describing uh before you go too much further simon buxton i have found a piece of land that is on a hill with a very steep incline Houses on the lane have built split level. Um, I'm a bricklayer on site and have built split level houses, but have not installed the tanking as it is done by ground workers. So yeah, like I said, um, and you go on to ask, do they have to install it in order to ensure the product? Yes. So the company who's installing it will have gone through various training and testing by the manufacturer so that when 
the approved installer. It's like anything when you get like special products, approved approved installer puts it in, it gets the guarantee. So that's that's what's going on there. So you're um you're basically buying an insurance policy. A significant proportion of the money you spend on this goes towards buying an insurance product. Interesting side note: my professional indemnity insurance as of January forbids me from making structural alterations to basements or specifying waterproof tanking because they just deem this to be way too risky. Um, and it's not just me. It's I, As far as I understand it, it's every architect in the land has had these sorts of restrictions placed on their insurance because the insurance industry that insures us professionally has taken a very deep dive into what it is we've actually been doing and they don't like what they see, apparently. Um, now, the basements thing has been rumbling along for a few years since several huge high-profile projects in London literally brought the house down uh, when they were digging these massive basements under very expensive homes in, in the West End of London. Um, and then they decided, oh, no basements. And I actually have asked my PII insurance brokers, do they mean the formation of new basements or adapting existing? They're like, either, doesn't matter. Anything that could be described as a basement off-limits you can paint it, you can decorate it, you can you know, put in heating, but you can't make structural alterations and you cannot specify waterproof tanking, which has made my life a bit difficult because a lot of the properties I deal with will have some kind of cellar or basement. It comes up every year, there'll be at least one or two that has this going on. Um, so I have had to have difficult conversations with clients about that. It's not, it's, so yeah, tanking and messing about in basements, the insurance industry don't like it. Rymo, right? R Y M O E. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Hello, I've managed to get an A-rated EPC on my ex-local authority solid wall property, air-tested EWI PV, etc. Will A-rated EPC improve my house value? Thanks. I mean, anything to do with what a house may or may not sell for is is really beyond the experience or remit of most architects. It's not something we would have a professional opinion, privately might have an opinion on, professionally couldn't say. Um, your best bet is to ask a local estate agent. Uh, if a local estate agent looks at that and thinks that has added, you know, made it a more desirable property, more saleable property, then yeah, probably. Um, but it entirely depends on what your local housing market is up to. Now, you could start being a clever dick about this and looking at the word value to mean more than just price. You know, does it make it a better home for you? Uh, you know, your energy bills will be lower. Has it, you know, improved your quality of life? Um, probably, but if you're planning to sell it, then it's not your house anymore. So um, I get asked things like this all the time. I'm not trying to be, you know, smart with you, uh, right? But the um, people will say, you know, okay, we've planned this extension or this whatever it is we're doing to their home. And it's going to cost X and we're into six figures at least, you know, we're, you know two, three, four thousand, hundred thousand pounds. And then they'll turn to me before we commit to building this and go, will this increase the price of my house? Will this increase the value of my home? Will I be able to sell it for more money? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, one, this is going to happen at some future point. I can't see into the future. I don't have a crystal ball. And even if I did, it's not something that architects would be competent to answer. That's an estate agent's question. You know, they will know because they sell properties day in, day out in your locality. So that's, if you're wanting to have a discussion about what to do to your house to add value. My suspicion is the state agent or surveyor uh, who does that sort of work would be the person to speak to. So, yeah, um, we've got six people on just now. We've been going for 30, almost 34 minutes. I'll run this up until the hour, nine o'clock uh, UK time. And we'll just see, we'll see where that takes us. So if you've got any, we've had a big flurry of questions there. That's, that's always great. I love that. This just makes makes it worth doing really um yeah so i'm gonna have a look to see i make a list on my phone you know throughout the week as to what to talk about for live stream topics um mo appreciate your honest opinion no problem uh, i'm not trying to be evasive or to avoid your question it's just not something that i would be able to answer um essentially it comes down to capitalism what are people prepared to pay to get hold of something? That will, that's the price. The price is what the next person's willing to pay for it. So, Simon, on a single car wide lane, which is what the plot I want to buy is on, is it difficult to get road closures? Um, local authorities do that. I've encountered this recently uh, in Edinburgh. Um, and the problem isn't that it's difficult. The problem is that the bureaucracy takes so long. 
to organise. I mean, we were we were being told it could take us several months to get a road closure in in Edinburgh, and that's for a road that had like it was it was a through road. And so you know, if we were going to block in the middle, we were going to block for a few hours. We were bringing a crane to site to to move glazing over the top of the house to put it in a new garden room at the back, um, which is the first time I've ever had to do it. I've looked at, looked into it, but never had to do it before. So I don't, it comes down to your local council, how well staffed they are, um, how long it's going to be closed for. If we're talking about just a few hours, that's a certain procedure to go through. If you're shutting it for days or weeks, then you have the neighbours up in arms. So there, you're going to have to come up with a good reason to do this. Due to extensive excavation that is necessary, I'm in North Devon, it, it really, I mean, your best bet is try and get into the hold of whoever your local authority deals with this and call them and say, you know, realistically, how long does it take to get the permission? What do I have to do? And what are the odds of it? Another way of looking at this is to ask them, when was the last time they approved something like you were asking for? You're also, if you're doing excavations, we're talking, you know, at least several days, maybe even weeks. I don't know what it is, how deep it's going to go or whatever, but you're, um, you're going to annoy the neighbours something awful. And that's where the problems come in. The council councils are just, you know, they're just people as well. They just don't want the aggravation of the phone ringing and hundreds of emails coming in and, you know, giving them a problem that they expected to be solved. So that's that's how you deal with it. Talk to the bureaucracy, see what the bureaucracy says. Probably a couple of days to create a loading bay for wagons to reverse into. Tough one. Um, feasible it does happen it happens all the time i've only like i said i've only had to do it once and that was earlier this year and the crane operator dealt with it and the crane operator solution was put the risk on the client and say we're gonna it's gonna take us months to get this out of the council how about we just go and do it and the client said fine spoke to their neighbors they opted to do this operation in the morning after rush hour so about 10 in the morning they got this thing going by mid-afternoon before rush hour started it was over so they took a risk and yeah that was that the neighbors are okay with my proposal as I've spoken to them to reassure them. That's that's your best bet. If if you make the neighbor's life miserable, or if you have one real piece of work living on your street who just makes everyone's life difficult, that's what makes the council's life difficult. And in turn, they'll then turn around to make your life difficult. It's just the cousin I'm worried about. Is that did you mean that or is that being cryptic? Um, so okay, we've got we've got seven folk on just now, which is pretty good. So I am just, I'm not being rude. I'm not checking my text message. I'm just checking um, for, through a list of things I said I wanted to talk about. So channel membership. Okay, so I've, I've touched on this before. Um, YouTube has got this system whereby subscribers can pay a given amount of money per month to get certain access to certain things you wouldn't ordinarily get. So I'm going to put a survey up on the community tab tomorrow asking how much would people be willing to pay per month to have access to a messaging system whereby they could send messages to me at any time they wanted throughout that month. So a fixed P fee per month. Um, TWJ Design Studio is back again. Hi Neil, how difficult is it for homeowners to split up their garden as a new plot? Access with and fiber gate access must be a big one. That's one. Um, I've dealt with this in Edinburgh several times. And I, I keep mentioning Edinburgh because that's where I've done most of my work throughout my career. But uh, it's very hard to create a new dwelling in a suburban area, or you know, where there's an established neighborhood with houses and gardens, detached houses, that sort of thing. But they have a system in place that allows what's called ancillary dwellings, more commonly known as granny flats. So you can convert your garage into a self-contained unit. And this policy has been on the books for, I think, nearly must be 15 years, maybe more. I don't know, but it's been there a long time. And it... It was initially put in place to help people with elderly parents, hence granny flat. So you could have, you know, the, the old one living in the garage and they have their own bathroom, kitchenette, bedroom, living area, all set up there. So they have some degree of independence, but it's not a separate dwelling, it does not have a separate postcode or title deed. It is part of your house, ancillary to it. And a lot of people went and did this, and I've done a few of them for clients. And then a few have then tried to hive this off to say, I now wish to separate this as a house and sell it on get the, the lawyers will try you know get the title deeds done but the count you need planning permission for this and immediately you try and do this you're into all sorts of problems with car parking it's usually you know there'll usually be some policy in the local planning document saying how many cars per dwelling should be parked off street to avoid having people parking on the street you'll need access to utilities 
sewerage, gas, water, electrics, TV, you know, telephone, all that sort of stuff. Really not easy to do from a practical point of view. And sometimes the planners will just say, nah. So you made a point about fire brigade access. Yes, that is something to consider. Um, but if it's at the back of the house, you know, and you've not got a driveway and you, you know, you're not going to get be able to get around there, that that is a problem. It's not insurmountable, but it, it can be a problem. There are distances the fire if you the local fire officer will have someone, um, fire brigade will have a fire officer whose job is to deal with developers and architects to answer these sorts of questions about how far can you build a, a building of any kind from the public road or from the nearest access point in such a way that the fire department can still get people to it in the event of a fire. Um, if it's a if it's a modest dwelling, like a single story thing, I, I suspect they may take this as a low risk endeavor because if it's on fire, the odds of there being one, a large number of people in there needing rescued or two, that people wouldn't able, be able to get out in the event of a fire, which is, you know, that's the classic problem like we saw in Grenfell, very tall building, single stairwell, how do you get out? Um, tricky one, how do you then get the fire, it, fire, you know, fire brigade in to help and rescue people? If you make it low risk for the fire brigade, that kind of mitigates that, but that can then dictate the size of building you have. So I, I digress, but yeah, if you speak to your local fire officer, that's one concern, but also speak to the local planning department and look at the planning guidance to see what they say about ancillary buildings, ancillary dwellings, uh, and the creation of new dwellings in gardens. They may have a policy on this. Mo, Patreon. I've recently sponsored a couple of Ukraine channels. It helps them make content which I have an interest in. I'm interested in building methods and improve energy efficient products. Good. I use PayPal Patreon to sponsor those channels, a small amount each month. Yeah, I've looked at this. I think YouTube set up their own um, gig, channel membership. Uh, and they take a slight, I think they take like 20 or 30%. So, if, you know, of, of whatever money is is uh, is given. Um, it's a healthy slice. You know, they're, doing, they're going to do well out of this. And I suspect they did it because they saw people were using Patreon. Now, I know Patreon take a slice too. I don't know how much it is. So for every £100 you donate to your Ukrainian YouTube channel, uh, Mo, a certain amount will stay with Patreon as a fee, um, which is fine. They're providing a service. So I'm just... Yeah, yeah, I suspect they, they both do the same thing. I'm just wondering whether which or whether of these is is the is the right move. When I did it, I think it was a month or six weeks ago when I set it up. There, you know, there was a couple of people spoke about it. Oh, that's interesting, but nobody took me up on any offer on it. So I'm just wondering, is it is it too pricey? Or am I not offering the right perks to people? So yeah, well, what I'm hoping is that if I were to allow people to have a sort of messaging system back and forth with me, or maybe even live streams like this just for paid members, that might be enough of an inducement uh, to get people on board. I don't know. We'll have to see. Simon Buxton, uh, on a narrow lane, does creating passing point on your entrance to your plot help to gain full permission? Oh, I mean, that's, I'd have, honestly, at this point, Simon, I would have to see drawings of the site and, 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 and look at this. I would have to then read the local planning policy to see what they have to say about it. Your roads department at the local council will have something to say about this. Um, there's a lot of complications in what you're doing here. And that's just on one small aspect of, of a proposal. You're going to have to look at the size, massing, overshadowing, overlooking, loss of amenity potentially that any new dwelling might have or any new building might have on, on its neighbours. There's a lot to consider. And yes, you, you're correct to think about these things, but there are potentially a lot of other things. And I've often seen this done where people, you know, dot all the I's and cross all of the T's with respect to one aspect of the concerns, but then something else comes along and, you know, they've got all the roads access or the, you know, the house, the style of the house is right, but it overshadows and tough luck. You've lost your, you don't get planning because of that. So, um, thanks for this evening's live video. I'll tune in again soon. Ryan. Yeah, no problem, Ryan. Um, yeah, we'll do this fortnightly. Now I used to do them weekly, but I'm doing them fortnightly again. If we went, if I, yeah, if I got a channel sponsor, I could probably just have the time to do them weekly, but at the moment, fortnightly is, is where it's at. Simon, the traffic issues have been brought up. Uh, you are in the outline planning permission that has already been granted. Right, okay. Um, bear in mind, if you have outline planning approval for something, they will revisit all these points again during the full planning proposal. They've not been put to bed. A lot of people assume that if you have outline planning permission, 
and something has been looked at, that that's it, it's over, they can't raise that again. They absolutely can raise the issue again, and they can form a different opinion of it during your full planning approval. So beware of that. I think at, at this point, you, you do need professional advice, and with I suspect you, you need to find yourself a local architect. Um, if you're interested, I do offer paid consultations via the reallifearchitect.co.uk website. There's a link, there is a link in the description. I put it under the description of this of these videos and, and all the other live streams. Um, so if you wait for this to get uploaded or if you check any of the other live streams, there's a link to the reallifearchitect.co.uk website where I do um, do consultations. I can help you formulate a brief and look at how you will go about finding a local architect for that. Um, just just so you know, TJW Design Studios. What is the tipping point you feel you need to use a surveyor rather than surveying a plot yourself? Yeah, um, I've done it a couple of times where rather than me measuring a site, um, I've brought in a professional, got the client to pay for that to happen. And in the, the occasions where we've done it, it's, it's not just if it's a difficult site to measure, it's if there's a boundary dispute or a potential boundary dispute. I did one a few years ago where the client had, had an end terrace property and there was another, another terrace nearby and between them was a common lane which was owned by five surrounding properties. And this property dated from the 1930s. So it was, you know, 90 years old. And it had back originally had a metal fence, which had rusted and been replaced. And, you know, several neighbors had made extensions and alterations and buried all sorts of things around their property. And we were building hard, we, our plan was to build right up to this lane boundary. And we didn't quite know where it was. We knew there was a metal fence in there. And the surveyor isn't going to be able to answer the legal questions because it's possible that nobody will be able to answer the legal questions of you know where precisely on the ground is that boundary or where was it 90 years ago when they built this thing so we had to do we had to make our best endeavors and to anticipating that this could be challenged in the courtroom at some future point we had to say well we did the best we conceivably could have done we hired a professional surveying firm to find physical objects on the ground and map them onto a drawing with absolute accuracy and then we used that as being the basis for going forward so we acted reasonably uh, and in good faith and that's the reason it's it was i've done it to solve potential legal problems and it has never actually got to a courtroom but that was one reason as to why for my jobs i've had a surveyor if i was building a new house in the middle of nowhere on a yeah, steeply sloping field or if there was other natural features, I would feel a, a line and level survey, which is what it's known as, to get the topography, any, you know, natural features or man-made features in, in the vicinity for maybe a hundred meters either side of the boundary would be the thing to do. Um, yeah, so that's that's why I have used professional surveying firms in the past, but I've pretty much 99% of the buildings I've worked on, I've measured them myself. Simon, sorry, I'm rushing with texting. That would be great. So, yeah, Simon, go on to the um, reallifearchitect.co.uk website and you can book an um, online consultation. It's done via Zoom with me. You'll see that. You'll see that option on there. Bernard, back in. I like watching your channel because you are loaded with information, which I think every young architect or architect technologist needs. Thank you. Um, loaded with information. Uh, that's, that's um, I suppose, yeah, that is kind of the point of the channel is to talk about the reality of what it is I do and you know, by extension, most self-employed sole practitioner architects in the UK. Um, I, I would, I, yeah, I don't think I'm loaded with information, Bernard. I think there are, I, every day is a school day. I learn new stuff all the time, um, which is why I love my job. That's why I like what I do, because every day is a, you know, most days are new. Some days can be frustrating, but there are, most of them are pretty good. Um, could you repeat the website? It's in the description, Simon. So if you look under the description of this, I'll just write it down. Real L I F E L I F E R C H I T A C T R Co. UK. www in front of it just to be on the safe side. There you go. Real life. Sorry, I'm dyslexic, so this is like I'm just struggling to look at my own writing. Real life architect or could UK. There you go. Boom. Click on that, see where it takes you. Uh, totally agree with Bernard on that one. Gold, gold tassels, thank you. That's, um, thanks, guys. Um, yeah. So I think a couple of people on here last time round asked me to start making videos specifically for architects, discussing topics that are relevant to architects. And the problem is that the channel 
is largely has evolved and, and has become aimed at regular homeowners in the UK. Uh, and I'm only going to make videos from now on that would uh, be relevant to that particular audience. Um, but what I have done, and you'll have noticed this, if you look in the channel, look under the, look under the shorts section, I've started making videos about topics that relate to architects in the shorts. And I made two recently. I'll just go and quickly look at them. Uh, one, just here we go. How to get your first job in architecture. It's uh, 60 seconds long, goes through eight points of how to go about doing this. I, I've started, I've, I get emails all the time from graduates and students asking for jobs. I've never employed anybody, have no intention to employ anybody. And on my website, it says, please don't send your CV. There's no openings. But every week this happens. So I politely reply and just say, thank you for your inquiry, but I don't employ staff. Best of luck in your search. Now I start linking that little short 60 second video into that email. Did one the other day and got a thank you back. Um, I suspect a lot of institutions don't teach their students how to go about getting themselves a job. So I've done that. Another short I've made is how long does it take to become an architect in the UK? I suspect if you're already studying or have been through the process, you already know this. But um, I am going to start making short videos specifically aimed at architects. But the main long form regular videos will be about topics that relate specifically to altering and extending homes in the UK aimed largely at homeowners. Simon, awesome. Great channel and really informative from a guy with great experience. Cheers. That's no problem, Simon. Um, yeah, have a look at the Real Life Architect website. And I do consultations there if you're looking to either buy land to build a property in the UK or you are have a home and wish to alter it or extend it in some way, or you're looking to buy a home with the express purpose of altering or extending it in some way. So three options there for um, consultations. Um, the property must be in the UK and you must not have all hired an architect already. I can't get involved if you've already hired an architect. So yeah, where are we? 50, 52 minutes gone. Um, I'll run this up until the hour. If any, if there's a flurry of people, come on, this is, always happens. It's like two minutes to nine, 10 people show up and they've all got questions. I did survey the channel a um, couple of weeks back asking about the ideal time and day for running this and it really does seem that 8 p.m. UK time on a Thursday is the optimum time that people wish to run this uh, live stream, which is fine. It does suit me. Um, Bernard, can architectural technologists become an architect in the UK? Oh, God. Um, yeah. The short answer is it's it depends. Uh, since Brexit, the rules around recognizing overseas qualifications. I presume if, if you've not, let me just clarify this one. Is your architectural technologist qualification from outside of the UK or did you qualify in the UK? If you're qualified in the UK as an architectural technologist, then yes, you can, but you'll have to do the same thing every architecture student does. You have to go through the RIBA part one, part two, part three process. Um, if you study architecture at university in the UK, you get a automatic pass on the part one and part two by virtue of having attended a uh, UK university that is accredited to teach architecture. But to get your part three, you need at least 24 months supervised working experience in an architecture firm. Um, and then you have to sit an exam and you have to do a case study and you have to do an interview. And it's I, it's, it's a stressful process. I, I went through it more than once. Outside the UK, it really depends where that is. If it was somewhere in the EU, um, there used to be reciprocal arrangements. I think Brexit is kind of, I'm pretty sure Brexit has brought that to an end or maybe cha it certainly changed it in some respect. Short answer is you, you're, I don't know. You're going to have to do some research, but it will be interesting to know. Um, TWJ, how do you approach window upgrades on listed buildings, secondary glazing, altering the joinery to house? And I've done this several times. Um, so Edinburgh has, I think something like a quarter of all the addresses in Edinburgh are listed. Um, and there's a lot of conservation areas and Edinburgh council came out with a policy, I think it's about 10 years ago now of allowing secondary glazing using what's called slimline or slim tech double glazing, you know, typical double glazing will have a 12 millimeter gap. So you've got two sheets of glass and there's a gap between them. Slimline or slim tech glazing, the gap goes down. I think it can go down to four mil or six mil. It's quite narrow. And Edinburgh Council allows this in some. You have to still apply for permission to do it, but 
it's assumed you will be given it, provided the glass you're placing is not traditional glass. And you can tell traditional glass, so if you stand and look at it up close, it shimmers um, because of the method of manufacturing. Um, Ten float glass was only patented, I think, in the 1940s by Pilkington. So pre that, all glass would have been traditional glass. So in Edinburgh, at least, if you have that in a sash and case window, tough. They, and the building is listed. The listed building people want you to keep it because they're not making any more of this stuff. But in general, if you don't, if the glass broke and was replaced at some point in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and is modern glass, you can get rid of it. Then there's the practical consideration of this um, this double glazing cassette unit is much thicker than you know actual original glass. So the timber in your traditional sliding sash window, particularly mullions, the thin you know the thin little bars in the middle of a window, they won't be thick enough to support this necessarily. And so there's a whole technical rigmarole to go through with getting this done. Um, getting the permission from the planning department, yeah, that's that's the easy bit. Um, the expensive bit is actually, can your existing sliding sash frame be adapted? And can, if it has mullions, if it's a Victorian window, they often don't have mullions. Georgian ones have mullions in them, and um, they're often you know just an inch thick. They're not thick at all. And you put this big chunky piece of glass, double glazing unit into it, it's it's not going to be able to support it. So there's um, there are companies in in the Edinburgh area who do this, but if you look up Slimline. Slimtech double glazing, they have systems that at least Edinburgh Council approve for use in conservation areas and listed buildings. So the whole rigmarole around that. So I hope that answers the question. Bernard, you're from Ghana and your qualifications from Ghana. Um, I don't know. Short answer is I, I do not know. Uh, even if you could come to the UK and work as a technologist. I certainly worked with um in, in my career with people from Africa. Um there was a chap I used to work with from Nigeria. Um with uni with two folk from Botswana so yeah it, it, it can be done or at least it could be done but again Brexit changed everything with respect to how the UK deals with recognizing foreign qualifications in just about everything strange raps which software is the best for architect oh man <laughs> um I presume you mean with respect to drawing you know my drafting tool so I use that is AutoCAD Lite for the Mac um i've used autocad since i was 18. i have looked at archicad i've done a little bit with vectorworks i use sketchup as well if i have a building that is complicated and you know a lot of stuff going on materials and junctions and massing i will make a model of it just to explain it to the client and to the planners and the builders and the engineers and the neighbors it just helps but um just the exterior just to show how that you know all looks and works but generally speaking, I do all my drawings in 2D. Um, I find AutoCAD works just fine. I know there's a huge, you could say, fetish among younger students and architects for photoreal, you know, um, presentations. It gets over, particularly for domestic work. I don't see the reason why you would need it. Uh, I can see why if you're doing huge corporate developments, they're going to want... Um, something for their glossy brochures so yeah that 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 helps or if they're going for funding and you know there's all you know, this stuff can take years helping to visualize it when you've got lots of different groups and bodies and individuals to sell a building to before it gets built uh, that helps but yeah it's, it's it's a rabbit hole for what i do for altering and extending private homes 2d cad works just fine um so it depends what you're doing i suppose bernard thank you um Akab, I'm not pronouncing this right. I, I really apologize. I'm doing my best. Is it Akab Nawaz? I hope I got that right. My first live stream. Enjoyed it. Can you just repeat the video you referenced when answering my questions? Oh, man. Remind me. Where are we? I'm going to, have to scroll back up here. Um, interested in a video on how to maximize your chance of getting planning in the countryside. Right. Okay. Two seconds. I'll stick a link in the description for you. And... Hopefully, we will get what we are looking for. So, Akab, if that is how your name is pronounced, um, asked a question about getting planning for a house in the countryside. And I put one up two months ago called, Do I Need Planning Permission in the UK? And, oh, God, it's going to start playing, isn't it? Stop. Um, share. I'm just trying to share the link so that he has it and can view it later. Paste. There we go. That's it. That should be 
Whoops, something went wrong. Oh, crumbs. What's happened? I apologize. I'll try it this way. Sorry, don't that last well, that last link I don't think has worked correctly. Hopefully that one's worked. So um backup. I hope that's worked. But yeah, that's it's a half hour long chat between myself and, and a very nice planning consultant. And we we discussed a lot of different things. But um, yeah, Chris Whitehouse of Next Phase, he runs his own channel called Next Phase, and he is a planning consultant, and the, the channel is there to help promote their business. Um, in amongst all the things we discussed, we discussed what it took and what was involved in getting planning for houses in sort of non-standard locations. If you're not within an existing um, dwelling, like a town, village, city, you're out in the countryside, how do you go about doing it? It's not easy. So have a look at that. Correct pronunciation as well. Not often that happens. <laughs> well, as someone whose own name gets mispronounced all the time, um, yeah, I, I know I know how you feel. Bernard, what architectural book would you recommend for me? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, it depends. Like, what what stage what stage in your career are you at? I'm conscious we've gone beyond the nine o'clock mark. I'll let it run for a few more minutes. Uh, so, Bernard, get back into. I mean, are you are you still a student? Are you right at the beginning, or are you graduated and working? Where are you at in your career? Bernard. TJW Design. Quick fire question. External or internal insulation? Which is better? <laughs> Sorry. Terrible question. Thermal mass um, with the external, I guess. I've never actually, I've looked at it, never actually done external insulation on a project of mine. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I've never actually done it. Um, if you're taking an older building, particularly a mass stone building, <sighs> Particularly, let's just say it's listed up to the eyeballs in a conservation area. You're never going to get permission to stick it on the outside. They're not going to allow you to do that. And you're then inside the building. Big question comes up of should you be insulating and hermetically sealing a building which has been there for hundreds of years, potentially, and is designed to breathe? Because if you put modern phenolic insulation inside a building, it is not going to allow the passage of water. And that can become a problem for the fabric of the building. It's not a simple one. Um, but if it was say, a mid-20th century building, I just insulate inside it. It, it You know, you don't have to do much. Um, and I am going to, one of the topics I'm going to look at in the future video is the law of diminishing returns and where it applies to insulation. If you have a building that is an old building, no insulation, and you put just 50 mil of insulation inside the building, it will make an enormous difference, huge savings on the energy bill. If you then stick another 50 mil on, yeah, it makes a bit of a difference, but not as much. If you then stick another 50 mil on, it makes almost no difference. So the reason is there's only so much heat to save. So um, yeah, law of diminishing returns applies to insulation. Bernard, I'm still in school with uh, will complete next year. Um, oh, right, for architecture, the architect's job handbook. I've got a copy somewhere. I'm just checking to see if I do have a copy. I think I have a copy back here somewhere. I can get you the author. Give me two seconds, Bernard. I'll see if I can dig this one out, but it's worth reading. Uh, do I have it? Yes, I do. So this is the architect's job book. Um, it was in the seventh edition when I bought it. Who knows how many editions have been since. It is RIBA Enterprises, Royal Institute of British Architects Enterprises, architect's job book. And it is, this is not a light read. It is essentially describing how you go about running an architecture practice profitably and legally and correctly, and how you go about running a job in such a way that everything is organized correctly and you give yourself the best possible chance of being able to manage a project. So that is the Bible in terms of how you go about um, organizing this stuff. Uh, if you do become an architect, you are going to need to pass exams in contract administration. And one of those contracts, at least in Scotland, is the SBCC contract in England and, and across the UK also is the JCT, the Joint Contracts Tribunal. And uh, a woman called Sarah Lupton has written a series of books which are quite actually fairly entertaining to read and they're easy to read, um, describing how every clause in those contracts is organised, why they're there. These contracts have been around for about 100 years and they've been tested in courtrooms. And so she has excerpts from a variety of different court cases as to why specific elements of a contract are operated in a certain way because of a judgment that arose out of a high court case somewhere in London in, you know, 
1960 or something like that. So if you want to become a registered rocket in the UK, you have to pass an exam on those contracts. And that book is, I still refer myself to that book in my working life regularly. Um, I hope that has answered the question. Those two books, if you have a, start with a job book, see where that takes you. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it possible to be an architect without having to study for a degree? But just like, yes, you can. Um, to as far as I know, you can do it in a sort of apprenticeship method. Um, I don't know anyone who ever has, but as far as I know, to my knowledge, that is still on the books as a method of getting to qualify, whereby you can, as long as you're working under in, in a supervised situation under the control of a qualified architect, you can go through a series of procedures to pass. It, it will take years to do it. Um, it'll take you far longer than it otherwise would. But I suppose if you're working, you'll be able to earning. So yes, as far as I understand it, you can do it that way. But like I said, I don't know anyone who ever has. Um, thank you. Right, guys, it's five minutes past nine. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you all very much for attending. This has been another cracking live stream. I really enjoy these. I wish we could do them more often. If we got a proper channel sponsor, we'd probably be able to do this every week. Um, or if we went down the road of uh, channel membership, if we got enough people to go on board, we could do you know private ones just for members. We could focus in on certain topics. That would be great. So guys, good night. Thank you all for attending. Um, and again, this will be posted to the channel pretty shortly after I bring it to an end. Thank you all and good night.